0: Welcome to GovActually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the Fed Scoop Radio Network.
1: And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually
0: get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. All right, Danny, we're back with an exciting uh gov. Actually, I- I'm excited about it because it's our it's our shared most favorite subject. It's it's OMB. We've got <laughs> it's the um, OMB
1: Love Fest episode.
0: Exactly. And and because we love OMB so much, we can't just have one guest to talk about it. And and so we've brought two. And we're we're going to talk about a very special um aspect of of OMB and, and in, in recent days, and and that's the OMB in the context of a presidential transition. We've got two fantastic experts that I actually had the pleasure of working with on the transition team. One is uh, Bridget Dooling, a research professor with the GW Regulatory Studies Center. Um, She has an incredible uh, background in in working regulations. I won't go all the way into it, but she served as everything from the deputy chief and senior policy analyst and attorney for OIRA, the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. Uh, she was a voting member of the administrative conference of the United States. That's a whole other ap- episode we need to do about ACUS. Um, and had a clerkship uh, for an administrative lodger gi- judge in the United States Department of Labor. In and positions in the antitrust division in the Department of Justice. So Bridget has been all over the wild, the wide world of uh, of U.S. federal government regulatory policy. I think
1: you were going to say the wild I, I was of regulations. Of, regulations right? I was
0: going to say the wild world, but um, <laughs> but we'll, we could get into that whether it's wide or wild or both. Um, I, I'm also pleased that we have a good friend and former colleague, Martha Coven. Who has spent a career inside and outside of government working on domestic policy, with a particular focus on policy, uh, poverty reduction, and, and the federal budget. She's now at um, Princeton, where she is the John L. Weidberg Goldman Sachs and Company Visiting Professor and Lecturer. I know it in academic posts, it's very important to uh, mention who the sponsoring um, uh, who's who's sponsoring the position, but more importantly. She served for six years in the Obama administration, including as an associate director or as what we would call a pad um, in the Office of Management and Budget where she worked on education, income maintenance and labor. Um, so with that as just a, a skip over the top of some really incredible resumes introduction, let's turn it over first Danny for you to set up the conversation and then let's let's listen to Bridget and Martha because I know both of them are really interesting. I have a lot to say.
1: Well, thanks, Dan. One of the reasons, and thank you, Bridget and Martha for joining, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is that you're coming fresh out of the experience of the transition. And you both were on uh, what what they call the landing team, if you will. So you know, the, the president election happens. There's a winner declared. in this case, the winner was declared. A few weeks later, so there was a condensed period of time for transition, um, and then part of the path is that uh, people on the transition team, quote unquote, land at the agencies and start to uh, prepare for the uh, the coming of the new policy officials that will serve in the new administration. So, um, Martha, I think you you were the the head of the of the OMB landing team, if I remember correctly. Tell us about the experience of landing back at the agency that you served in for six years um, and doing so in the middle of a pandemic.
2: Yes, and thank you for having us today. So I was the lead of what they called the agency review team. We didn't use the landing team terminology um, for a variety of reasons, including that there wasn't exactly any landing. As you said, it was all in a virtual environment. So we just appeared on one another's computer screens, and that was how we reconnected. Um, But it was, um, for, for a variety of reasons, it was, Um, a challenging, but also, you know, in some ways, exciting opportunity to reconnect with this agency and, as you said, get ready for the new political leadership to step in, because we were doing it during a pandemic, for starters, which isn't just, doesn't just mean that we're on computer screens, but also meant that there were major issues ongoing that the nation had to grapple with and that the outgoing administration handing off to the new administration had to try to navigate. Um, but it Martha, was, can I ask you yeah.
1: uh, just a very mechanics question, yeah. which is um, ha, who do you talk to first? Like, who is the first person that is, do you talk to a policy official from the outgoing administration? Do you talk to a civil servant? Is it a bunch of people, one person? How does that work?
2: You know, I think the practice may vary across government, and some of these are formal practices and then they're informal practices that grow up over time. But in our case, it was with the designated official who had been a career civil servant who had been designated by the incumbent political leadership to be the point of contact with us. And the incumbent leadership was quite formal about how they approach things, um, perhaps even excessively formal at moments. So that was our point of contact consistently was that career civil servant.
1: Okay, okay. And then Bridget, what was what was your role? Did you focus as a former o Iranian? Did you focus specifically on the OIra part of the transition, or or was it broader than that?
3: Yeah, thank you for using my uh, proper designation as an o Iranian. It is. Yeah. I'm
1: a former o Iranian. That's true. So, yes, yeah, so I think we covered. Blood.
3: I think we covered the same. You covered education, right?
1: I was the Education Desk Officer, indeed I was, yes, a long time ago, way, way, way back, probably when you were in middle school, but that's a whole other story.
3: Yes, I was a wee babe. Uh, But yes, I think, um, yeah, so then I came, when I started, I had the Education Desk too, so there's a lineage here on on the Gov Actually pod. There you
1: go. Um,
3: So my role um, on transition was to cover, yes, uh, information uh, issues related to Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, which is called OIRA. And also um, Office of General Counsel issues. So I covered both regulation and the legal department in OMB, which is small but mighty. They cover a huge number of issues, um, despite being pretty small in terms of personnel. Um, so that was that was good. Plus, the, you know, frankly, the team that Martha put together was small enough that we all chipped in on a lot of things. Um, it was a really remarkable crew of people with different backgrounds and experiences. And that diversity really helped us get our work done in a thoughtful way.
1: Great. What and so what's some of the what are some of the things you want to accomplish? Like, I just want to understand. Like, are you, you're you're talking to back to the main transition team? Have they given you marching orders? And you know what are, what are you trying to do when you arrive? Like, and I know you didn't technically arrive. I like landing team better than agency review team, but that's because I love the image of it. Um, yeah there was, me,
0: there was this whole sense though to try to demilitarize the, the terminology uh, around aviation so I was
1: thinking Mars rover but uh, oh, yeah, I get okay. it
0: that's yeah maybe I get it
1: moon landing
0: okay.
1: um yeah, but what's your marching orders like 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 how do they set you off to to your review with what um, with what direction
2: you know, the nice thing about coming off of a campaign, right, a transition follows immediately on the heels of a campaign, and a campaign usually involves, and this one did, the candidate laying out a set an agenda, and in this case, a quite um, um, thorough agenda. So you, you kind of know what your task is, which is you have a candidate who's going to become president in some number of days. You want to make sure the agency is set up to carry out that candidate's agenda. As efficiently and directly as possible. So that's really you sort of have your marching orders just by virtue of knowing what that the president elect wants to get done when he or she arrives. When do you do you do you have a connectivity to
1: the the you know so so the Biden transition team or the Biden White House Personnel Office in waiting? starts uh, selecting people that are gonna serve in OMB, the potential director, the potential deputy directors, maybe even some of the, um, maybe the OIRA administrator. Do you have any connection with them as you are uh, working on the transition pre-January 20th? Or is it just back to um, kind of a core transition team? And is there some type of firewall between you and those that are in waiting to become uh, permanent OMB policy officials.
2: We do, and I can start on this Martha and then Bridget may wanna pick up, um, You certainly not until they're named, right? So there's a whole separate process that is other people selecting those individuals. Once the, they are selected, um, and not many are during transition, um, certainly not the full set, but but this transition tried to have as many personnel in place as possible because of the challenges facing the country in particular. So there is some level of briefing and that's actually one of the great things about it is that we're trying not only to sort of figure out what's going on and talk to the career civil servants, but also talk to the incoming political leadership about what they'll be encountering. And we we did do a fair amount of that OMB 101, OMB 102,
0: at least for the incoming team. I think I think Martha's um, Martha established this really important kind of sense of what a transition is. You have a campaign which is focused on on establishing a set of policies that will attract voters that will then put you in office. Um, it's that process of actually moving into office, though, so shifting gears from pulling people together around a campaign to pulling people around, together around governance. And that's a very different set of motions. And there's some very specific activities you have to do. One is you have to kind of assess the, the general sense of the government, where, where, where what state is it in when you're coming in? Uh, what level of receptivity and readiness is it for these policy changes? What do you have to do to make those policy changes? So that's another set. Um, and then who are you going to have uh, on board to do the work of making making those changes or seeing those outcomes through? And it's all that is happening at the same time. You're trying to gauge current condition. You're trying to establish set of first you know, activities that the new team will undertake. And then you're trying to find the new team. Add on top of that, then the complexities of figuring out where people are gonna sit and how people are gonna get background checks. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, really, you know, complicated kind of just basic operations work. The thing I'm, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about, um, and I had the chance to work with both of them during the time, is, you know, the, some of the specific work that they had to do, that you got to do around, you know, two very, very essential center of government areas One being regulation and the other being budget, because everything that the administration wants to do in shifting policy priorities goes through those two channels.
3: Yeah, that's great. I just want to circle back to one, one point from earlier also which is that. In a transition, there are a lot of different roles. And so agency review is just one of those roles. And that's what Martha and I were focused on during the transition, Um, but it is such a short period of time. Um, right, that, that, that it makes a lot of sense to divvy up those responsibilities across different folks. And, and for folks who took a list of, took a look at that list of names, right, for who was on the agency review teams, I mean, one of the things to know about that is that that's just a snapshot of who was on the agency review teams, right? That was never a full list of everyone serving on transition. And so the, the names of people who are going to be in contact with uh, the civil servants, at the agencies those names have to be disclosed publicly and and so they were Uh, but just to say that that the, the true sort of um organizational map of the transition was actually quite a bit bigger and involved people in all sorts of different roles like the ones Dan described as well as you know a legal department for example to handle ethics questions and all sorts of other questions because really this was a small a small business that was created for a very short per- period of time to sort of run this this period which is sandwiched between the campaign and the inauguration right it's only 78 days between the election and inauguration and there's this little entity that pops up in the meantime called the transition team um and to dan's question your question was about sort of the the regular well, and, and then yeah
0: so i think that's a really a, a really really important point so you have this this giant apparatus pointed in one direction and that's when the election later on you're going to have a giant apparatus which is pointed in one direction which is the Policies of the administration, and in the in the middle, you have a smaller apparatus that's that's trying to hand off that that changeover, and trying to you're trying to get the people on you know into positions. You're trying to give them direction. You're trying to give them some sense of what they're going to find when they get there.
3: Yeah, and just to to sort of situate that in the larger environment, also, right? This particular transition happened. At the nexus of of three really unusual situations right We, we were in the middle of a pandemic right which is was draining on its own terms right and with a high personal cost for some people serving on transition and certainly a high cost for the American people. Um, so everyone's already suffering from a level of, of pandemic fatigue, right? With more or less particularity depending on their circumstances. And that transition work would normally get done you know, in a bullpen somewhere in downtown Washington, right? We wouldn't normally be you know, scattered across the country um, but instead we were team building in an entirely remote environment. Um, and within the OMB agency review team, Martha helped us build a culture Uh, Stood up a culture on the fly, right, that allowed us to connect with each other. I mean, a lot of us didn't even know each other prior to serving on the agency review team. And so we had, you know, just for example, we had a, like a lively group text, right? Which I pers- personally used to replace the void in my life having stepped away from Twitter for the duration of the transition. We used chat and email and we had daily or weekly meetings depending on you know, what made sense or, or one-on-ones or small group meetings as needed as well as weekly pulse checks to see how the team was doing on a handful of metrics. So all of that combined to keep information flowing and spirits up. And that was just one dimension, right? This pandemic. Second, we had this delayed ascertainment. Um, The election was November 3rd and I looked up the date because I couldn't remember and it was ascertained on November 23rd which doesn't actually sound like all that much time, right? It's 20 days between election day and the ascertainment but when you think about the window of that transition period, it's 78 days between the election and inauguration. So there was always probably gonna be a few days to ascertainment, particularly because of the fact that we were having you know, increased vote by mail as a result of the pandemic. But those 20 days took a big slice out of, available, out of the available time. And um, and so that that was just sort of a, a big factor that we had to contend with. And then the third thing I'd put on the table is Schedule F, right? Which was this policy change that the administration made late and really influenced the way we were thinking about um, what was going on within the federal government at that time, and there were and we can talk more about this if you want, but there were particular effects, you know, related to OMB um, that we had to be really mindful of as we uh, did our work in agency review.
1: Right, and just so people understand, Schedule F was this um, executive order issued by the previous administration that would have enabled um, a and a president and a political administration to more easily and readily. Uh, dismiss people out of government um, that that previously had civil servant protections and um, there was a particular risk that uh, the OMB workforce would be moved into this more uncertain status around their civil servant protections. And there was uh, a lot of uh, former OMB policy officials like me who were very concerned about that and signed a letter um, expressing our concern about, about the, the importance of protecting the OMB workforce. So yeah, I mean, that's a unique uh, stressor that's placed on, on an agency that you're coming in to, uh, to, to help deal with. One question I have is like, I, and this might be my own bias, but I always felt like OMB has this unique place in government as a center of government entity. It's um, It's remit has and the things that it does impacts all federal agencies Um, and it just gets its it gets its hands in everything. Is that does that also play into the transition? Like, is there something unique about an OMB transition versus, let's say, an agriculture transition or a commerce transition? Or no, it's just really about the health of this particular organization rather than its its broader mission.
2: No, I think you hit on it, Danny. I think there's two dimensions. One is it's a fairly small agency, and you do have to ask what's going on in that 450-person agency. But then it is, it is sort of the, um, I don't know, central clearinghouse for government action across many dimensions. Dan mentioned two of the big ones, regulations and budget. And so we were simultaneously figuring out how to set up the agency as agency for success and then also trying to figure out how a, the Biden-Harris agenda was going to move through this agency. It's regulations, it's budget, those are two of the big ones, but it's management too. And there are a lot of management, ongoing management that challenges that the government has. But remember, we also had big, we have big cybersecurity challenges and other issues. Um, COVID affecting the federal workforce, OMB deals with federal workforce issues. So lots of cross currents coming through. So we were sort of dual headed the entire time.
1: Yeah, I think we're, we're coming up on the break where I wanna take the conversation is I wanna dig deeper into work and life, not just during the transition, but get your thoughts about how the government is adapting to COVID and what that looks like going forward. Um, and uh, and what you learned during the transition about this? I have about a million questions about, you know, what, what our return to, to life looks like post-pandemic. And I know it's gonna look different than pre-pandemic. But I'd like to kind of d- dive into a little bit of, of how how cultures have changed. You know, Bridget, you talked about how Martha set up a um, you know a, a culture of, of of frequent communication through electronic means to replace like the being in the team room type environment or the war room. Um, when we get back, let's let's dive into that.
0: Gov actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop.
1: GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact.
0: All right, Danny, we're back. We, we took a, a long and luxurious break. Um, I, I, I took a quick little micro vacation, and, and, and now I'm ready, ready for another How hour.
1: is the spa? Because you look, your pores looked great. Yeah,
0: well, thank you. It's too bad we don't do this as a video thing because I think <laughs> um, that people would see, would see the transformation. But um, let's dive in on, on where you left us, this question about uh, how has, how did COVID affect the transition? What are the lessons learned and how do we operate in that, in that world? Um, and, you know, given, given the experience we took away over the last and, year.
1: And in particular, I think, Bridget and Martha, you both worked in OMB. It's almost like a, a, a control treatment group, right? You worked in OMB in normal pre-pandemic days, and then you worked in OMB in a remote environment. And what were some of the, uh, the, 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 the differences and, you know, what, what worked well, what didn't, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um for the most part, I mean I said that most of us were never physically there. People who needed to go in um to review classified material and what we call a skiff did did have to go in and we did have a team member or two who was physically on site and would report back and say, "Have you seen the ninth floor or those sorts of <laughs> I actually saw the building kind of reports, but for the most part, we were just popping onto each other's screens." I mean, I, you all probably have experienced this in your work life. an upside of the remote work is you can pull together meetings quickly. You can yeah. pull a group of people in a, even in an ad hoc manner onto a screen. It was a little bit more formally scheduled with the um, staff at OMB um, because of the way that the yeah. incumbent folks were handling it. But still we were able to do a lot of work um, exhaustingly sometimes, but I, in some ways there are upsides to this new way that we all have of meeting. I just, we need also the human interaction and I look forward to that returning.
0: The one big downside though, I'd say is that I've learned that about 95% of my exercise apparently comes from walking from meeting to meeting. So during the, the pr- pandemic period, I've, I've, I've had to go and explore alternative means of exercise. It's, it's, it's very complicated
1: yeah <laughs> Bridget, you were going to say something
3: oh yeah, I also think i mean I think that in order to make it work in a remote environment, you know having a team that's willing to behave fairly flat right is actually pretty important um because you're not, you're not just logging hours, you know, for purposes of FaceTime. I mean, it really is all about the mission. It's all about what it is you're trying to get done. And so, you know, Martha, as our team lead was just always available, very flexible. We were very informal with each other. It inspired a level of candor among the group that I think allowed us to come together much more quickly than if we were worried about, you know, posturing for hierarchy's sake, for example. It was just very, very fluid from a management perspective. I do think that helps in a remote environment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a, uh, a, a traditionalist and I have this image of, in my mind of OMB of, uh, civil servants rushing hurriedly uh, and stressed from the new executive office building across the street to the old executive office building in packs, like getting ready to brief the policy officials, uh, usually kind of with an annoyed look on their face of uh, some some frustration or stressor. Um, in fact, I, I think I've mentioned this before to you, Dan, like I always envision when I was one of those people like rushing across the street, I would picture myself retired one day, sitting on a bench outside of the Renwick Art Gallery, which is right in the middle, and just like watching this happen and, and, and reflecting back that I was once that person. And, and so now I think about like, are we gonna lose that? Like, is the world shaped so differently now that um, that that part of, of federal life and OMB life is um, won't, won't exist anymore? And it's not necessarily a bad thing because I think, you know, working remotely pre, as Martha said, creates, and as Bridget said, creates certain opportunities, but I'm also hopeful knows, that though, we go back. Yeah.
0: Ancient, you know, predecessors in the Bureau of the budget may have vague memories of pa- passing through the treasury horse stables on the way to the way. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. the, these things do change because of time and technology. In fact, I recall the days prior to 9/11 and the closure of Pennsylvania Avenue, when crossing Pennsylvania Avenue from the new building to the old building was actually a thing of of danger and major concern. We had a couple of our we had a couple of our folks hit. I remember Alice Rivlin sending uh, an email, uh, which was an innovation at that time, to all of OMB saying, you know. I'm your director, but I'm also a, a mom, and I'm worried about you crossing Pennsylvania Avenue. No meeting is so important to get to that you you can't wait for the light to turn. So something to that effect. So you're right. Yeah, there's but, that
1: there's that culture history of OMB that um, and all the federal agencies. And I guess it's such a big swing from uh, you know, from, from 2019 ways of working to 2020 ways of working. And just, I was just curious because you guys had jumped back into OMB in a 2020, 2021 world and whether you felt like had the, you know, do you lose some of those cultural dimensions or, or, or do they get recreated? And is the same sense that you had back then return in a, uh, in a virtual environment or is it just different?
2: You know, Danny, I think this will make you feel better. There were people, I won't name them, it won't be employees who showed up for our virtual meetings in suit and tie.
1: Yes, it does make wow, me feel that, better.
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> we felt respected. It was very cool. Enough. At least,
0: at least they, you knew they were wearing a shirt, a blazer, and a tie. After that, it's Zoom, so who knows, right? So
2: PJ pants could have been there. Exactly.
0: Idea now,
1: but. <laughs> exactly. But, but it, it seems to me like the... There are work, you know, through the pandemic and I think we're all experiencing this in every industry and every government agency like it's by, there's some miraculous thing and maybe it's not so miraculous that we've, we've adapted we have become resilient and in many cases have learned how to meet our missions in a virtual way and part of this discussion is you guys setting up this enormous perfect storm of challenge that this transition presented. And yet, by you know, it was shorter, the ascertainment took longer. You had the stress of schedule F, a pandemic, you know, all, all kinds of issues that we probably some we probably didn't even get into. And yet, by all counts, a very successful uh, transition. And it looks to me like the government is, you know, back, and, um, and, and the handoff seems to have been fairly fluid. Um, and so, you know, and so that's that's also op- encouraging and optimistic, um, but yeah, is that right? Did you feel like, you know, the OMB that you knew was just as, you know, um, agile and uh, and impactful, even though everyone was on a Zoom screen versus in the, in the conference room on the 10th floor of the new executive office building?
3: I did. I mean, they're, this is Bridget. They're, they're pros. I mean, the OMB staff was was ready to rock, and um, as always, so that that was a bright light through this whole process. And I think there were a couple of themes to the transition work that I think helped us, you know, stay focused. And and one was that we were focused on producing work that lands right, not not just producing reams and reams and reams of briefing papers or background documents or spreadsheets, right? Just because we could. Um, and we could have cranked out a lot more written material than we did, frankly. Um, but we, there was an affirmative choice to say, okay, let's really focus on what's gonna be helpful to the people going in on day one, right, on January 20th and beyond. And so I think that helped us stay focused on, okay, what do we really need to be able to hand people so that they're ready to hit the ground running? And there's this, you know, there's just a certain humility that comes that I think should attend transition work. And that's, you can't, you can't do everything. Right, you can't get all the issues sorted. You can't tee everything up. You can't get everything perfectly brief. You have to make those choices and prioritize. And like, if that's not a hallmark of OMB work, you know, I don't know what is, right? Because OMB, there's so much flowing through OMB. You're always having to do that triage and that prioritization. And I saw that ethos very much embodied in the transition itself. And I think that's part of why it was so successful.
0: And I think Bridget hit on a couple of really important points. Um, in. In transitions past, there has been an emphasis on on building this binder or a book or, you know, the transition book. And in some agencies, um, it was very, very useful. In other agencies, um, it wasn't cracked at all, in part because it has a very, very short half-life. You know, it's a it's a point in time analysis by folks who aren't actually in the agency based on interviews that they've been able to cobble together during 78 days. So it's recognizing, frankly, the limitation of the time in the process and then focusing on work that recognizes that that could be useful and have some carry forward value is super important. The other, the other issue that's hard for people during transition to remember is that there is only one president at a time, and the elected president is not yet that president. So they're not really running anything. It's more stretching rather than running, and um, that's hard when you've you know run a campaign and and won, um, and you're and you're trying to get ready to go run the thing. You you want to run it, and you have to patiently wait till noon on the day of. Uh, January 20th to um, to actually begin to do that. That having been said, there's an awful lot of work that needs to be ready to go on that day one if the if the president elect is actually gonna do stuff. And and OMB has some of the most important assignments that they need to get ready. One of them is preparing a budget and and dealing with uh, the regulatory work. And so in that sense, I don't know. I, I'd love to hear Bridget, you know, some of your reactions to that. And Martha, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, how does one prepare a budget, um, you know, in with with Frank, frankly, like 10 minutes, it feel I felt like a uh, worth of uh, government time to get it done. Yeah, well,
2: Martha, why don't you go first? Um, so yeah, I can speak to the budget and then um, Bridget worked not only on regulations, but also executive orders. You saw that President Biden, when he became President Biden, you know, John Hancocked a whole bunch of documents and that doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, on the budget, there is a tradition dating back at least to the Eisenhower administration of the OMB career staff, even prior to the election, studying the campaign promises of both candidates. So they're ready to pivot right after the election so that they can work you know, hand in glove with the transition team on getting a president's budget president's budget request ready because technically it's due the first week of February. It's always late in transition years. Um, Unfortunately, that level of cooperation wasn't available to the Biden-Harris transition. Um, The incumbent administration drew some very very strong lines um, that that made the career staff not as available to us to do analytic work as had been done in the past. So we were still working really hard on getting some budget decisions ready to be made. Um, but that did delay and has delayed some of the work that has to be done in the president's budget preparation.
1: Yeah and I'm I'm I think one of the things that we should do with transition is learn lessons each time and try to just like any good thing, like learn from 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 where challenges emerged and try to prevent them from repeating. So I'm wondering, you know, how do we kind of document some of these issues, create better access, create better a better situation for an agency review team or a landing team so that um so that that there is potentially unnecessary limitations on access we we avoid that in the future because i do think transitions is one of those things that happens every four to eight years yet it doesn't seem to have a ton of requirement regulation prescription um and focus on uh on on how to preserve, for example, its apolitical nature um, and how to make sure, like even the whole ascertainment thing, it was so confusing. Like what is GSA's responsibility and does the GSA administrator actually still report to the president on this issue? Because if he or she does, then, you know, then I don't know why you would get angry at the GSA administrator for non-ascertaining, would have been insubordination. Or does the GSA administrator actually have independence and can make that decision regardless of what the president orders? That was completely unclear. And those are the types of things that I think going forward, we learned a lesson and we should clarify.
0: Yeah, and that's a that's another I feel like another episode. As one who actually did an ascertainment um, uh, for the um, for the second Obama administration, I, I think we may have put a little bit too much into that term and into that decision because all it simply was doing was releasing funds to a bunch of pre-cleared uh, security clearance people to go begin the work of amassing information for a potential transfer of power. So um but but there are you know it's an opportunity to make a little bit of a plug here the partnership for public service and their center for presidential transition is actually going to do that work that you were describing Danny uh digging into the the transition rooting it in prior transitions and trying to come up them with a series of recommendations policy regulatory or even legislative recommendations um, for transition. So stay tuned. And as that work happens, um, I'm actually doing some of that work with PPS. Uh, as that work happens, maybe we can bring it back here to go Well,
1: I hope, yes. And I hope we, we pick up on, on the experiences of Martha and, and Bridget to make sure what worked right and, and what worked well. All right. So we're coming up on time. So I'm going to throw a, a, a fairly random question out because um, one of the things that 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 emerged during this discussion was um, was how much time we spent in electronic environments. And I'm just curious, like one of the as we move forward, do we need to rethink about record keeping and finding the right balance between having open? Because if Martha, if I ran into you in the hallway in the Eisenhower Building and we had a, a very important discussion about you know, um, a topic important to own being the administration. No one's, you know, we could be, we could exchange ideas quite freely and I could say something stupid and not regret it. And you could say something that was an idea that we later dismissed and it goes away forever, right? But if you and I are on Slack or on text or on Signal doing it, um, it's for, for whatever reason, and just because of the growing pains of the information age, we haven't really decided yet as a society, whether that is just like talking in a hallway or that is for the record. And it seems to me like this is something we're going to have to sort out. And in a pandemic world, maybe there's a little bit more urgency to sort it out. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that.
2: I agree with that. I think texting in particular, things that are like tech, not all of those tools are available to every government employee, to be clear. So that's a one issue, particularly inside the executive office of the president. But beyond that, yes, texting has become almost like chatting in the hallway or on the phone. and um, But yet we don't have the same protocols and expectations, just as you said, it's a great question. I think something the government and you know lots of workplaces need to figure out.
1: It's a good OIRA question, right, Bridget? I mean, there's definitely a role for OIRA in that question.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
3: I mean, I think between this and what you raised earlier about ascertainment, I mean, I think transition, this transition and, and probably others have the potential to launch a thousand law review articles. If uh, anyone's mm-hmm. listening, I think there's a lot of novelty here, you know, sort of the hand is forced a bit by by the technology and there's some, some good issues to explore for sure. Awesome.
0: Dan, and any closing be- thoughts? Well, I think, it's, I think it's great that Bridget and Martha are both um, at uh, universities, really great um universities where they can actually launch some of those law review articles but yeah i mean I, things like that's a whole other great set of discussions about what are the um what you know where what's the history of the foia statute and you know what is it rooted in what were the expectations what was the world that 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 kind of set of uh, regulations and expectations were set but i i still want to hear a little bit about from bridget about um that work around the executive orders and the, and the regulatory stuff because that was such a big deal at, at the beginning, uh, you know, in this in in particular in this transition because it is a way for a president to very clearly and very quickly establish a change in policy.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the role of executive action is, is just growing and growing um, in the modern presidency, and and that's replicated here and you see it, you know, playing out every day in the Biden Harris administration. So, I mean, within thinking about transition. Um, you know something to know. I think OMB's regulatory role is at least reasonably well known. Um, I think one of the and, and something related to that. You know, at a time of transition, you're dealing with the the outgoing administration finishing up its regulatory agenda in a period that that is known as midnight regulations, where you know the the the, the this clock has struck midnight and Cinderella needs to get home from the ball. Um, there's this sort of crunch time when if you're going to finish your regs, you really need to hurry up and do it. And that happens during transition. And then simultaneously, the incoming administration is laying the groundwork for its own regulatory agenda, right? Which may include trying to undo some of what the last administration did, right? So I, I think I've heard someone describe this to me as, you know, particularly from for OMB, you know, you're going hundred miles an hour in one direction then you need to spin the car around 180 degrees and keep going 100 miles you know an hour so it's quite a task within OMB to, to manage that but they're they're accustomed to it their career staff understands it's coming and, and as I say they're always ready to rock um, the oh go ahead Dan no go ahead I... um, on the executive order side um, I think OMB's role is lesser known um, so since but since the Kennedy administration, OMB has had a responsibility to do an interagency and legal coordination process on all draft executive orders. Um, That function was moved out of OMB in the Trump administration, as far as we know. Um, That role was handled much more by the White House staff than where it would normally be situated within OMB. So part of our task during transition was to gather up information to allow the incoming appointees at OMB to hit the ground running and bring that process back home to OMB so that they could run it. Um, as they're supposed to under that executive order. And so that that was really a process, a set of process work that we were doing within the transition team to help the incoming team, you know, be ready on day one. So that's sort of a, a good distinction between the policy content of those EOs themselves and laying the groundwork for how the government is going to run once the new administration is in
0: there's uh there's so much more to talk about here but i know um we got to jump off uh i do appreciate your participating you're your joining in and, and sharing some of those experiences and and the perspective i also want to echo uh, uh bridget's comments because i did get to work very closely with martha during the the transition she was a brilliant leader of a wonderful team and in many ways it it reco- it, it reflected the the best qualities of, of an agency that we all hold in such high regard, what what you did as the transition team, putting together a little micro OMB uh, for a moment to support uh, the transition to the macro one.
1: Great. And I'm going to close by saying thank you to Martha and Bridget and, and invite you on a beautiful fall day where everyone's vaccined and Martha maybe you'll be uh, in DC instead of Jersey to meet me on the bench outside of the Renwick for some coffee and we'll watch the uh the uh the OMB's people shuffle back and forth between the red building and the gray building and And, and I wonder
0: who those weirdos are who are applauding them as they walk by yeah
2: exactly
3: I'm so in let's do it